By the way, Exodus chapter 1, it is not on the website, correct, Daryl? Because our recorder machine went on the fritz, and I think a Wednesday night was Eric's, Eric's were on there, his Sundays were on there, right? But not his Wednesdays. Okay. So we apologize for that. Maybe I'll do a little bit of review in Exodus chapter 1, but then uh, we'll go on to chapter 2 today. So let's go ahead and pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, we thank you that you are the one in control, that you care for us, that you are the one who provides. You're the one who sees all. You're the one who cares, the only one. We ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us through your word, by your spirit. Help us to mature as Christians, to be those disciples, to carry the good news to others so that we may complete the tasks which you have given to us so that when we walk into glory, you will say, well done. We long for that, Lord. And in the meantime, as we tarry here, as we wait patiently, we ask for your blessing on your word and on the fellowship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Genesis is the book of beginnings, and Exodus is the book of deliverance. I told you last time we were together, several weeks ago, There's 350 years between Genesis and Exodus. The entire book covers 40 years, and this is a part of history that is 3,400 years old. The overarching themes in the book of Exodus are deliverance, sacrifice, morality, priesthood, and the prophet, the prophet which is Moses. And we know that when they went into the promised land, Joseph, or excuse me, not the promised land, when they were exiting from Egypt, we know that uh, before they came down to Egypt, there were the families that were there, 70 people in all. Joseph was already there. And then you had the sons, the 11 of them, not counting Joseph, who all came down, and that was their clan. And by the time that they left Egypt, as I told you before, there was at least one to three million people that exited uh, down there. And the list of names that we have in Exodus chapter 1 are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Those are the descendants of Jacob, number 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. So we have the 12, which make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And as I mentioned before, that list of 12 varies a little bit depending on where you look inside of scripture. Joseph may not be mentioned. His sons may be mentioned, Ephraim and Manasseh, and sometimes Dan is not mentioned. So there were 70 people in all. Then we had the, in chapter one, we had the monarch of Egypt. We had the midwives, we had the masters, and we had the multiplication. If you remember, the monarch in Egypt Uh, that was there was the pharaoh and he was the one that did not remember joseph or at least chose not to remember the history of his nation and he imposed a great burden upon the nation of israel and they were becoming so numerous pharaoh remember gave the edict the order to kill all the male children and of course the midwives did not follow this it was Shipra and Pua and God blessed them even with families of their own because they did not obey the command of the Pharaoh they were civilly disobedient in this but 
as Pharaoh wanted to continue on his suppression of the people, he made their work even more and more difficult. And the more and more difficult these masters were, whipping and persecuting the Jews, they multiplied. Their multiplication was, they were just everywhere. And that's what the scripture says. They were ubiquitous. They were covering the land. There were so many of them that were there. Then we get to Exodus chapter 2, and we see that there is marriage, Moses, murder, Midian, and then there's a marriage again that takes place. Now we had this marriage beginning in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. Now the names of these two are in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. They are Amram and Jochebed. That's a beautiful woman's name, Jochebed. Uh, She was the mother of Moses. And of course, we know that there was Aaron and Miriam as well that were born uh, to this woman and to this man. And so this marriage took place and they were the ones that gave birth to Moses. Now we know that Moses' sister was older than she was. Or than he was. In verse 2 it says, And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Have any of you women had a child and say, Not so fine? (laughs) You know, she looked at this child, a fine child. Now, I don't know what the distinguishing characteristics of Moses were when he was born, but it was so worth noting in the Old Testament, that this was repeated, I believe, by Paul in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. It says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so about this no ordinary child, I, I don't know what special, again, characteristics he possessed. I don't know if he was talking right out of the womb saying, hi, mom. I don't know if it was his countenance that was there, the shape of his body, his strength. We don't know what it was. And if when we get to it, you'll recognize that Moses, he really didn't grow old. Uh, he, he may have gotten wrinkly a little bit, but his eyes never dimmed. I don't know about you. But as soon as I hit 40, my eyes started to dim. And they're, they're getting dimmer and dimmer. And I'm squinting more and more. Do you have a problem reading your phone when you get your phone out and you hold and you start squinting like that, especially if you had stigmatism? Moses had no problems whatsoever. It's just like he didn't die of a disease. The Lord just caused him to die because he was disobedient. He didn't go into the promised land. But he was no ordinary child, which meant he was no ordinary individual now going on verse 3 but when she could hide him no longer she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the nile his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him now i know at this point jacobed was thinking okay i got to try to save this child somehow some way and so she made this boat and she instructed her daughter to watch the boat as it went in the little boat the papyrus boat as it went down and i don't know if she was directing it or what the case was but obviously moses was picked up in verse five then pharaoh's daughter went down to the nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it 
She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. So several things going on here. I'm sure Jochebed instructed the daughter, watch it where it goes, and it ended up with Pharaoh's daughter getting the basket, and then her uh, uh, Jochebed's daughter said, should I go get somebody to nurse the child for you? Well, that's his sister. His sister go gets the mom. The mom gets to have the baby restored, and she gets paid for taking care of her own child. Isn't that great? How many of you husbands pay your wives to take care of your children? Well, all of you do because you give them food, you give them clothing, a shelter, all of those things. But it was kind of nice that somebody else in the outside was paying her to take care of her child. Now, I don't know how long Moses would... Uh, have his mother attend to him as far as weaning him. You know, it, I don't know what the practices were back then. It could have been a year. It could have been a couple of years that she would have kept care of Moses before she turned him over to Pharaoh's daughter. And so it was just like a blessing. He was no ordinary child. She wanted to protect him because that God blessed her with the ability to take care of him when he was young. And then, of course, he fell into Pharaoh's household. Now, one thing that is interesting about this, Moses is the savior of the Jews, right? Who's the savior of Moses? There are at least five different women that saved Moses. There was Shipra and Pua because they did not get rid of the babies, the male babies. They defied the order of Pharaoh. There was Moses' mother, Jochebed. She was the one that took care to make this basket for him. And by some happenstance, maybe the Lord would save her son. And so she planned this. And then it was Pharaoh's own daughter who was in charge of Moses after he was weaned and Moses' own sister. So it took five women to take care of this one guy that ended up being the savior of the Jewish, the Israelites that were there, the Jewish population. And so if we ever want to point to somebody and say, see, they are the one, they are great, you got to forget of all the support that came before that to get the individual where they needed to be. And that's how God works. Even though he'll call an individual, and I believe that's how God does it. God doesn't call an organization. He calls one person at a time. And you might think, well, I never got called to anything. Oh, contraire. You have been called to reach the people who are around you. And all the instruction, all the learning that you have received, all the gifts and talents that you have acquired, you're supposed to use those for anything that lies in the future. For those of us who are older, who have acquired skills and knowledge, at the drop of a hat, we're to be ready in season and out of season to exercise those gifts and talents that we have for the sake of those who are around us. If we choose not to do so, I believe we are being disobedient. When it comes to the gifts and talents that we possess, we're supposed to use those, and there are always going to be people around us who enable us, who teach us, who instruct us, 
who take the time with us. And of course, this is the case, as I just stated, that these five women were involved in the, sur- in the events surrounding the birth of Moses. Now, this is again recorded in Acts chapter 7, verse 20. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as soon as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Now, one thing that caught my eye on this, what was he powerful in? What did he say he couldn't do before God? Was that an excuse or what? All of a sudden he had a a speech impediment where he wouldn't be able to speak, but apparently he was quite the orator or orator that would be out there speaking and he had tremendous amount of knowledge. Now, if you keep track of Moses' timeline, we know that he spent 40 years in the wilderness. We know that he spent 40 years in the land of Midian after leaving Egypt. He lived 120 years. Therefore, how old would he have been? This is a math problem, a word problem. How old would he have been when he left Egypt? He would have been 40 years old. So he lived in the land of Egypt for 40 years. He committed murder, went to Midian for 40 years, got the people out of Egypt, and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, if God came to you and said, you're going to wander for 40 years, you're going to live in the desert for 40 years, but the first 40 years, they're going to be great, right? If you remember the problems that, and we'll see these, that he endured, how did he feel about the people? Bunch of stiff-necked people, right? And he was adjudicating their problems from sunup to sundown. And there was Jethro, his father-in-law, that told him, hey, you need to stop this. And, but then he was willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of the people. In other words, he had a change of heart. Now, somebody who had so much knowledge and was able to speak well and probably was a man's man raised in the household of Pharaoh, it says in the book of Numbers, I think it's chapter 12, it says that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth to go from all this power and education to humility what did God have to do take him out of his circumstances and humble him he was a powerful man ended up becoming a shepherd I don't know if he ever grumbled at that at some point in time where he was stupid sheep just counting those sheep and checking for ticks and walking in the desert and going getting water and slaughtering a sheep and getting all messy he could have done that then again he could have been thankful and said lord thank you that i'm alive that i got out of there i know i was a murderer and i know it wasn't so good but thank you i'm alive well apparently at the end of his life he was a tremendously humble and thankful man but it took him Midian 40 years and the wilderness 40 years and the trials and tribulation that came with his ministry to shape him into he was into what he was verse 11 one day after Moses had grown up he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his own people glancing this way and that and seeing no one He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? 
Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. Now, some of the people that God used, well, they were all sinners, but they were murderers. Moses was a murderer. Who else was a murderer that's really famous? King, yeah, you guys already know. Not only was he a murderer, he was an adulterer, right? And he feigned being crazy. He was a murderer, an adulterer, and a crazy man. He did all those things and God used him. Is there hope for us? Hopefully nobody has committed murder in here. Nobody has feigned being crazy, even though we are a little bit crazy. My daughter told me I was crazy last night. Or my, my granddaughter told me I was crazy. Poppy, you're crazy. I said, I know, I admit to that freely. And, and so God can use us if... God can use a person like Moses. If he can use a person like King David, he can take us and use us as we are submitted to him. Now, Moses was very reluctant. You know the story. He didn't want to do this. He wanted somebody else to take the mantle of saving the Israeli people. He didn't want to do it, but God kept on showing up and he compelled him to come. Now, do you think at the end of Moses' life, that he was thankful that God chose him? I think he probably was, even though it was difficult, and he was probably sorrowful and regretful that he wasn't able to enter the land. But God had used him in a tremendous way, saved millions of people. And so the trials that we go through as well, by the time life comes to its ebb, by the time we're reaching the final days of our existence here, we can give thanks to God and say, like Paul has said, I have run the race, I have finished the course. And that's the way we want to enter into eternity. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, Moses is called out in this hall of faith. And I just wanted to read this to you. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he had this point in which he rebelled against the household of Pharaoh and wanted to be identified as a Hebrew. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Now with that, that, that would mean for us that uh, you might live in Rancho Santa Fe, that you might live in La Jolla, and you would have... Uh, the nice palatial setting that you would exist in. I've been in some houses down there. I've been in both Rancho Santa Fe and in La Jolla doing work for uh, people of stature. And having gone into their houses, I, my jaw drops. I just say, wow, this is a palatial setting. And having become accustomed to that and giving that up, could you give that up to come live in Lakeside? Could you give that up to go live in Descanso or Hemet? Could you give that up to go live in Blythe? You know, I don't know how many of you have been through Blythe. I know they have some fast food restaurants there now, but it's not like it used to be in Blythe. And so could you sacrifice all that just to identify with the family? Say you were born in Blythe and a woman in La Jolla happened to adopt you. And as you were getting older, maybe your teenage through your 20s or maybe through your 30s, you said, no, I want to identify with the family in Blythe that lives in a single wide over there. And they only have a swamp cooler. They don't have an air conditioner. I'm going to identify with them. How many people in this world do you think would do that? 
probably very few, maybe none. But Moses decided to do this and became a murderer. And you know the rest of the story. And if you don't know, we'll be getting to it. And so Moses was, you just have to say like, wow, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, this caught my eye too. As of greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Back it up to the beginning of that verse in verse 26. He says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Yahweh, for the sake of Jehovah, for the sake of Christ. Did he know Christ in the Old Testament? Well, that's who the text says he knew. How is that possible? Well, who did he meet with? And I've talked about this in chapter 1. Who did he meet with in the Old Testament when he talked to God face to face? There's one account where uh, there was Aaron and his sons who were priests and the 70 elders and all these guys got together and they went out and they met God. And it talks about how under God's feet, the stone under his feet, it was just like incredible. And all these guys are sitting there and God showed up and he was there. And it says that they ate and they drank and God was right there. Not the rest of the people, but just the elders, the priests and Moses showed up. That was Jesus Christ that showed up. He was the one, it was a Christophany in the Old Testament, and even in the book of Hebrews, it establishes that it was Christ that he followed, even though they were under a different dispensation, a different covenant, a covenant that Moses established, that God established through Moses, I should say. And so reflecting on this a little bit, or continuing on, verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. In other words, he was a man of faith, and that's what the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is written about. So he chose the way of God and not the way of the world. He gave up what the world had to offer in order to identify with his own people and to identify with Jesus Christ. And as I just asked you, are you willing to do that? If God says, give it all up. If God says, get rid of everything that you have, I'm going to call you to a particular place, a particular time. Can you forsake everything that you have in order to do that? Your whole family? Because Moses, he forsook his Hebrew family, and he left, and he went to Midian, and he was adopted, so to speak, by another family, Jethro, his father-in-law. And so can we do that? Can we say, God, whatever you want, I'm in. That's why this message is given to us about Moses. It was his transformation. First it was the marriage, and then Moses was birthed, and then he goes on to Midian. In verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flocks. 
Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flocks. When the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early? Now, what's this guy's name? Reuel. Now, if these girls, and one of them being Zipporah, their father is Jethro, who's this guy? Reuel, their father. What's up with Reuel? Now, you know, also, there's another name for this guy. His name is Hobab. Now, this is a classic case where somebody will look at the scripture and say, wait a second. His father-in-law, he married one of these seven girls, Zipporah. His father-in-law is Jethro that shows up later. But this guy has a different name. Obviously, there's a contradiction in scripture. Therefore, you can't believe in this guy. Let me show you another one here. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, just turn over there if you have your Bible in front of you. If you don't, pick up one from the chair in front of you and turn over to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now remember, he married one of the daughters of this guy that had seven daughters who were watering them at the well. And we just read in verse 18 that his name is Reuel their father. But we are told later in Exodus chapter 3 verse 1, it was Jethro. Okay, is it two different guys? What's the deal here? Also in Judges chapter 4 verse 11. Turn over there. In Judges chapter 4 verse 11. Now I'm going to read this in the King James says, Now Heber, the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. Okay, so wait, he has three father-in-laws? There's Hobab, there's Reuel, and there's Jethro. What is going on here? How come this guy has so many names? Well, first, let me ask you. Most of you, correct, have at least three names? Some of you don't have a middle name, but most of you have three names. Now, uh, scholars have attacked this, so to speak, and, and tried to give a defense for it, and some have attacked it and tried to just discredit the Bible. Reuel seems to be the last name. Just as your last name, you would use that or people use that, especially if you're military, right? They don't use your first name. They use their, your last name. That's how they refer to you. So Reuel seems to be the last name that came from Jethro's father. And so Jethro, in, in the New Testament, for instance, what would have been Jesus' last name and it wasn't Christ? Joseph. His last name would have been Joseph. And it would have been spelled out as Jesus bar Joseph. That would have been his full name. And that's how they explained it back then. Just like in Mexico, they use the name of the mother and the father as the last name. And that was the tradition here. But this Hobab... As well, well, what about Hobab? Uh, you know, you may be called by different names as well, but Hobab is Jethro, and Jethro is Hobab, but Jethro seems to be a title and not just his name. So Hobab, he would have been Hobab Reuel, but he was called Jethro by Moses because he respected him. 
And so that's how we resolve this. And that's, he called him Jethro. In the Hebrew, it's called Yitro. And it's a title, and it means his excellence. Now, what was he? He was a priest. Now, if he was a priest, and Moses is honoring him, and Moses serves the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and he is lifting up Jethro, what kind of priest is Jethro? And he came from the land of Midian. Well, Jethro was a Midianite, and the Midianites, or Midian, came from Abraham and Keturah. Abraham married Keturah after his wife Sarah died. And he had more sons and daughters after that point, and one of them was Midian. Abraham would have raised his children to have faith in God. Now, was there another priest around during the time of Abraham that served the one true God that was separate from Abraham? Melchizedek was the guy. And he was called the Prince of Peace. The King of Salem is who he was. And many people believe that was actually Jesus Christ. And he ruled in Jerusalem. That's who he was. And of course, it pointed to Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes after that priesthood. So is it possible that Jethro was also a priest after the same type of priesthood as Melchizedek? Or worshiped the same God? Absolutely. He could have been that same type of individual. And Moses... When Jethro showed up one time, he was going to go back to his own people and even said he was going to do that. And and Moses said, no, don't, don't go, stay with us. He wanted him with them because he was a seasoned individual. He was a priest of Midian. He probably served the one true God, just like Melchizedek did. And they would have been brothers, so to speak, serving God, even though that was his father-in-law. So that's how we resolve this. Now, reading this, you don't get all excited usually when you find information like this. Go, oh, I'm so happy I found this information. Now it just makes my life complete. You just go, oh, okay, well, let's kind of move on. You know, so some of this stuff, it's a little tedious. You're like digging through the scripture. You're pulling the sand back. You're looking for the little nuggets of gold in there. And that's one. So if somebody comes up and says, see, there is a description of who Jethro is in the Old Testament and it totally contradicts what it says in Judges chapter 4 verse 11 because there he's talked about as Hobab and who's this guy Reuel and people get all confused and all you have to do is say calm down it's not what you think and you just give them the information and that will be just another little sharpening of your blade that you stick into your sheath and as you need to you just pull it out and you say let me take care of this and you just cut off that objection and you throw it to the side and you kind of move on from there. So I'm glad we tackled that. Now also, the honoring by Moses of Jethro, I looked up in a Jewish encyclopedia and there is some interesting information there. It says one time, and this is by tradition that is handed down over hundreds, even thousands of years that these rabbis have put down. And they, the rabbis had this oral tradition. They would pass down these stories. And, of course, they didn't make it into Scripture, but sometimes historically these things can be correct. Uh, we don't know for sure, but it stands to reason that it is. And there's an example of Aaron, his sons Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel going out and meeting with God. Well, these same people, it was Moses, Aaron, 
Nadab and Abihu, it says, according to this encyclopedia, that they went out to meet Jethro. And it is said that the Shekinah glory of God, which was over the tabernacle, also went out to meet Jethro. Now, if you're familiar with the story, when the tabernacle was built in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory of God would hover over the Holy of Holies. If you remember, there would be the outer courts and there would be these linen, this linen fence that went around and there was one gate to get in. And of course, we know if we look at the tabernacle, Jesus is the gate to the sheepfold. That's the only way, only one way in. And so you go into the temple and you had... I think it was 45 feet long, and you had, uh, I forget how many feet in the, in the uh, court, the, the holy place, not the most holy place. As you walked in there, you had the table of showbread, you had the candlestick that was there, you had the altar of incense when you walked in there, and behind this curtain, you had the holy of holies. And a priest could only go in there once a year, and if you went in there more than once a year, off with your head, so to speak, God killed you. By the way, uh, uh, Nadab and Abihu, they were killed by God because they offered up incense when they weren't supposed to and God smote them dead. And so they were very careful to follow the instruction of what God said after that. They didn't make many mistakes. Aaron had two more sons that were uh, in the priesthood after that and I'm sure they, they were very careful not to offer any strange incense or do anything that God did not instruct them to do. And so... These guys all went out to meet Jethro by tradition when he showed up and it is said that the Shekinah glory of God went from the Holy of Holies and in the daytime it would be like a cloud. At nighttime, and it was a pillar and it would go up into the clouds and you could see it wherever you were in the camp of Israel. You would know exactly where the temple was because at night it would be like fire. Now fire could have been fire or it could have been this phosphorescence that is there. Uh, just by way of example, uh, Buzz and I, when we go out diving, sometimes at night you're in the water and there's no moonlight, there's nothing. You can't see your hand in front of your face if you turn off your flashlight. And sometimes we'll do this. We'll get down on the sand at the bottom of 60, 70, 80 feet and you turn off your flashlight and you go, this is really cool. And then you take your hands and you go like this with your hands. And this phosphorescence just goes everywhere. It looks like pixie dust. And it's pretty cool uh, to see that. Well, this cloud could have phosphoresced. That could have been it as well, where there was light emanating from it. And it could have been just spectacular to see. And the people would have called it fire. Do you think they had a word for phosphoresce? They had no idea what phosphorescence was. So it could have been that. We don't know. But it could have been fire, too. That's okay. But that thing moved. And it went to honor Jethro. And that's probably why Moses honored Jethro. Because he was serving the Most High God. And it's not unusual. You know, if you are honoring God in all that you do, God is going to honor you. So it's not unusual that God would honor Jethro in the same way. 
If you serve him well, God is going to say, come on in, sit up on my throne with me. You get the inheritance which has been prepared for you before the foundations of the earth. And you're going to go, what? He goes, yeah, come on in. It's going to be a fantastic thing. And this is an example of that, how God is honoring him. Now, it also says in this encyclopedia, and it gives some words in Hebrew, and it's generally translated when it speaks of Jethro, that he rejoiced, and these words that are given, as the Talmudists have recorded it, it says, he circumcised himself. I don't know about you. That is one tough guy, if he can do that. And that was in the encyclopedia of Hebrew knowledge, of the Jewish knowledge. And then also, there's another way of talking about him, and it says, he became a Jew is what it says about him. And so this guy was big in the life of Moses. He was a priest, more than likely of the Most High God. He was honored by God himself and Moses and all the priests. I mean, this guy was lifted up and God honored him. And so if we follow what Jethro did, at least the simple wisdom he possessed, and also Moses and all that he did. If we do what they do, God is going to honor those individuals, and he will honor you as well as you honor him. That is God's MO. That's what he does. Now going on in verse 18. When the girls returned, of course, these are the daughters that were rescued by Moses to Reuel, their father. He asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Now, here's a single guy, shows up with seven women. Now, I don't know about you. Now, he was 40 years old at this point, right? But he was still kind of young. Remember, his eyes never dimmed. So he was, he was a man's man, I assume, coming out of Egypt. And they recognized him as an Egyptian. If you see seven women in distress and you know how to fight, do you think Moses knew how to fight? I'll bet he did. I bet he had a sword in his hand and he could take out, he was probably like Spider-Man or Batman or something, just taking out people left and right if he needed to. He had that strength that was in him. Also, uh, remember Caleb? Caleb was an old man. I think he was about what, 90 years old or something? And he is still as strong as a 20-year-old. And he was one of the two people that went into the promised land. And the Lord preserved his strength. And Moses was like that too. And so he shows up. He has seven damsels in distress. And, of course, he rescues them. And these girls are thrilled. Now, he ends up marrying Zipporah. And Zipporah, and I want you to get in mind what she probably looked like. You know, don't get a Disney film in your mind or anything like that, who some of these people who could be or who they would be. But the name Zipporah means little bird. Now, what do you imagine she looked like if her name was Little Bird? She's probably just this little petite thing, you know, just as cute as a bug that could be. And that ended up being Moses' wife. Let's go on with this. Verse 20 And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And of course, here's a guy with seven daughters. (laughs) There's a man in the camp. Get him in here is what he says. So Moses agreed to stay with the man 
who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah, again, means little bird, gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And sometimes if you interpret Gershom, depending on who you read, it means alien is what it means, a foreigner. Verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with Joseph. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now this is the hinge event, so to speak, as others have said. This is where... We find out about Moses. The chapter begins in a marriage. It ends in a marriage. It begins with the parents of Moses getting married, having Moses, and then it ends with Moses getting married and having his son Gershom. And so we see that that has this bookends. And then there's a little PS at the end. God remembered his people. So all these things God did to Moses was to prepare him for what was coming in the future. Now, of course, Moses wasn't told what was going to come out of all of his travels and all of his trials and tribulations, but God was working behind the scenes. Now, God always raises up an individual to do his his bidding. God set the circumstances in his life to get him exactly to the place he desired him to be so he could use him to perform his will. But he still had to set things in order. How long was God working to get Moses to where he needed to be at the point where he married Zipporah. 40 years. Now, right after 40 years, that's when he married Zipporah, and then another 40 years. And we want it right now. Can you remember that? I, I remember going to school. I remember sixth grade sitting there going, I'll be, I remember this. I told myself, I'll be so glad when this is over. In Mrs. Stewart's class, looking at the clouds and the blue, I'll be so glad to be out of school. And then I got out of school. And I was always looking for, how long does it, i so glad when I get done with schooling. I'll be so glad when I get married. I'll be so glad when I have some children. God's setting everything up. And then he ordered my life. He's done the same thing to you. He has set the people that you need at the particular time in your life to help you. It is God's sovereign plan and it has shaped you. And there has been tremendous joy and tremendous heartache. And not only have you received both of those things, but you have given those to others so that you might reflect on what's going on so God can use you. The worst thing you could possibly do is remain static and obstinate like the nation of Israel and say, I don't know what God has in store for me, but I'm not into it. I'm just going to do my thing. Moses may have thought he was going to do that, but God had a different plan in mind. Now, this, again, is why Moses is our example. How long did it take to do what he needed to do? Well, by the time he went and got the nation of Israel, it was 80 years. At 80 years old, if somebody comes up to you and said, God has a new plan for you, you're going to do something brand new that you have never done before. Can you see why Moses said, can't you send somebody else? I'm 80 years old, you know? And God goes, no, you're going to go. Oh, come on. I can't speak just right. No, you're going to go. And what if God said to you, and maybe you're 50 or 60 or maybe beyond that, and God says, I have a plan for you. And you go, and no, 
I don't, I don't think, I don't want to go that. I'm established. I got my house. I got cars. The grandchildren, they go home. You know, it's all good. But what if God wanted to do something miraculous? Wouldn't it be great? Can you say, yes, I will do it? Yeah, whatever you want from me, Lord. Moses is our example. That's the lesson we're supposed to take from this. If you were questioning that, if you're saying, no, I'm so tired. You think Moses was tired? Probably every day after those sheep. God has a plan for you. He's working in you. He's working in the people around you to shape you who, to who he wants you to be. And there's a tremendous plan until he takes you. So just be open for it. And you just say the prayer, God, whatever you want. Let's pray. Father, this is our prayer. If anyone is reluctant, I pray that you would move in their heart that you would change it, you would modify it into what your will is. And we know that if we ask anything according to your name, you give it to us. And so, Lord, collectively, we would come to you and say, whatever you want, God, whatever you need to put us through, we are willing, no matter how hard it gets, no matter the consequences, we're expecting joy to come out of this. We ask, Lord, that you would use us for the benefit of your kingdom and the benefit of your people until we see you. And as I said at the beginning, may you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for Moses. In Jesus' name, amen.